bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Pastor Eddie Bumpers. Hey, Brother John. Man, I'm glad to have that you had me this afternoon. I'm looking forward to spending some time talking with you, sharing my story. Amen. On One Broken Life, we explore uh, people's broken lives. And so we're going to get into a uh, great big message, messes that we believe make great messages. And yeah. so uh, sometimes people don't realize the impact that one radically changed ex-drug addict or ex-alcoholic uh, can make in this world when Jesus gets a hold of them. Amen. And so uh, that's the theme of our of our uh, of our podcast, One Broken Life. And so one of the things that we talk about is one broken life at a time. That's a, kind of a theme of our ministry. Yes. And there's a couple verses uh, that I like to cling to, and, and when, especially when it comes to our podcast. And one of them is Psalms fifty one seventeen. And it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart, a broken spirit. And it says, uh, it says that God won't despise those sacrifices. It's a repentance, a brokenness, a uh, uh, humility. And then um, another verse that we really hold on to is Philippians 1.12. Paul says, brethren, I want you to know that things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Yeah, amen. And, and so we're going to explore your life, brother. And... Uh, it is a privilege because one, uh, you know, to me, I honor you. Number two, um, you're my pastor. And so uh, it's exciting. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'm honored, Brother John. I'm so thankful for you as well. We we're talking just before we came on about how long we've known each other and um, about our journey and about the goodness of God. So I'm looking forward to kind of developing that a little bit in our conversation. Amen. Uh, and so the first part was going to be, uh, Pastor Eddie's um, past, and many don't know about your past, uh, but you know you have a recovery story, which is incredible. Uh, especially if if uh, folks know know who you are today, many would never even realize that. And I know you don't hide that; you share that sometimes, and uh, in your sermons. Um, and so we're going to journey through just a, just five minutes. Of what was your what was your life like growing up? Yeah, sure. Well, my parents were Alabama people. And I was born in Alabama, in South Alabama, just above Mobile, Alabama. My dad was a sawmill man. He sawed in a sawmill, and so was my grandfather. My uh, mom's dad is the one that got him involved in that. And so it was a solid home. My dad was a hard worker. My mom was a church-going lady, was a teacher of a Sunday school class. 
And so I grew up there in a little small rural community, logging community. And then my dad was saved when he was 35 years old. And we can talk more about that in a little while, about how his life was before he met the Lord. But he was saved. And so, and after that, uh, God called him to preach. So we moved our family, uh, he did, from, Jackson, from, from Alabama to Jacksonville, Florida, where he was going to go to seminary. And so that was a real big catalyst in my life. I was about nine years old, 10 years old, and made that move there. And um, so, so I got there in the bigger city. And uh, we moved a couple different times and developed some friendships with some people that uh, were a little different than me, that led me into a different kind of life. But it was a good home, a Christian home, good Christian parents. But um, I wasn't a Christian at that time, so I don't know how much more you want to say about that no, right it's, now. No, it's good it, it, because uh, there's stigmas, you know. People don't realize uh, that addiction and um, crime, I call it, there's a lot of it is generational, generational right. addiction, generational crime, but some of it's not, you know, and uh, people don't realize that, you know, how addiction starts many times and, and then and then how the path can lead you to other places. The next thing you know, you got a pastor who's got a successful ministry and and you don't realize that he came from that too, you know, and so there's so many reasons why I want you to share your story, but sure, but that's good. And so what, as far as a child, you said you moved you went to a bigger city. Your dad worked for the sawmill. And so can you just give us a just a few minutes here of what your life was like growing up? So how did you come from, you know, the rural town to the bigger city? So so what happened there? What was your life like growing up? Sure. You know, like I said about my dad, my dad was a sawmill man. And so in that county, Clark County, Alabama, it was a dry county. And so my dad, I guess as a pretty young guy, started getting hooked up with some bootleggers. And so he would, um, you know, work hard during the week. And then um, in the week, on the weekend, he was out, you know, hooking up with the bootleggers, um, running bootleg, boonshine, that kind of thing in the backwoods of Alabama. And so he was a heavy drinker, pretty much an alcoholic, until he was saved at 35 years old. Him, him and my mom really had some different, some, some, some issues in their marriage. And so he was kind of coming to the conclusion, I can't keep living this way. And then he was a big Alabama football fan. So uh, the pastor of the little country church that came there to be the pastor, his father was a professor at the University of Alabama. So my dad thought, well, I want to get some tickets to the football game. Maybe I'll meet this pastor. So this pastor began to witness to my dad and talk to my dad at the post office and come by the house and witness to him. And so he said, I'll go to church because he was trying to, you know, get some tickets to the football games. And so he went to church and uh, began to get on a conviction. He tells a story about one night he came in, he was halfway drunk, and the TV was on, and Billy Graham was on there preaching uh, about going the way of Cain. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, that's the way you're going, Harper. His name was Harper. That's the way you're going. You're going the way of Cain. And he said the Spirit of God was just working on him. So he actually started stopped drinking for a while, started going to church with my mom. And during a revival in 1970, on a Friday night, he walked down the aisle and got saved. What's significant about that is he's the first, he was the first Christian in my entire family on either side. He was a first-generational Christian coming out of alcoholism. Had a successful job, built a beautiful home, sawmill guy. Then he, God called him to preach shortly after he got saved. Now, my mom was praying for him to get saved. She was a church lady, a Sunday school teacher. She was praying for him to get saved. But then when he got saved, all of a sudden he's this new guy that's on fire for God, wanting to be a preacher. And she's realizing, well, he's, what he's got, I don't have. So not too long after that, my mom got saved wow. after his testimony. And so 
he, of course, began to pray for me and witness me. He's a brand-new Christian. How old were you? I was about nine years old when that happened. So I have just little glimpses of him coming in drunk, you know, beating me before when I was just a little kid because he was angry. Just little small as a part of that. Most of my memories of him after he got saved. But so when he was called to preach, we made that move to Jacksonville, um, and we moved into a, a neighborhood and I, uh, next door to a guy who was the one who really I became really a friend and kind of a mentor to me. He's a few years older than me. And so he's the one that introduced me to dope, dope to pot and okay. to drinking. And so I was about 13 years old. And so I started, you know, smoking dope with him, taking quaaludes, smoking crack, you name it, whatever came along, and drinking. How old were you again? About 13 years old. Okay. And it kind of just continued. You know, it's kind of mild at the beginning. And then I just kind of picked up until I was in high school. Man, when I was in in 11th, 12th grade, I was drinking like a quarter, almost a half a quarter uh, wild turkey before I would go to school in the morning, smoking dope and going to school. Of course, there wasn't much school going on then, you know, Uh, and uh, playing football and trying to live a double life. I'd go to church with my parents. And then I'd be doing this on the weekend every chance I got. So I was living a pretty hypocritical life uh, during those days. But I had good Christian parents who were going to church a week, taking me to church. But, but I didn't have the Lord. Now, when I was a nine-year-old kid, my dad came in one night from seminary and said something like this. He said, Eddie, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And I'm a nine-year-old kid. No nine-year-old kid wants to go to hell. So I'm like, no. So he led me in a prayer. Yeah. But I had no idea, no consciousness of sin, no understanding I was a sinner, no understanding of Christ's sacrifice for me or commitment to Christ. It was just a prayer, um, but it didn't change my life. I tell my son all the time, he's almost 15, and I say, I can't make you care. You know, you have to care on your own. You have to want it. You That's know? right, yeah. And so I pray that God will make you care. But like you said, you know, it's a... You got all this going on around. You've been inside. You have to get broken, and, and yeah. so nobody wants to go to hell. No, but it was not very deep. I mean, I was just to want to honor my dad, so he wanted to do this prayer thing, so I did it. But it was for him and not for me or for Jesus, and so it didn't change my life. So you're going to church, but your dad's not pastoring yet. Yeah, my dad's a pastor. Okay, at this time. He, my dad went to school, worked um, as an associate, worked in a bus ministry. Uh, repaired buses and things for a couple of years. Then he then then the, he had a country church that he was passing a church. And you're the you're the twelfth grade drunken doper going to church. Yeah, tearing it up. Yeah, yeah. So sitting on the pew every time, singing in the youth choir, going on youth trips, but a ball faced hypocrite and a liar. Man, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but that's awesome because <laughs> because there's people listening right now that. Uh, that are hearing this from you and they're like, wow, you know, I mean, there's going to be people that are going to hear that story and have so much hope for their kids because yeah, they, they're thinking my kid is doomed now, you know, but they realize, Hey, pastor Eddie was a senior in high school and, uh, and, and look at what God is doing now. But then, you know, so let's, so when did you finally hit your head hard enough to where you, repented, trusted in Christ. I mean, when did your salvation experience happen? Yeah. Well, during those days, as I said, my parents were, you know, preaching to me, praying for me a lot. And, of course, there are a lot of incidents in my life. And my mom, me and my mom, uh, man, she was having a tough time with me. 
you know, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, you know, and of course my dad is checking on all my stuff, digging through my cars when I had a car, uh, you know, um, and I got busted m- several different times. The police would bring me home. Um, and my mom was be the one usually that was answer the door. And so my mom actually, I don't tell many people this. I don't talk about this a lot. I want to get emotional about this, but my mom, man, I love my mom. We were tight, but my mom was giving up on me. She's, she's like, we're taking you to church every week. We pray for you every night. And so she'd kind of given up on me. And her attitude was more or less to my dad, you take care of him. I'm done with him. And I heard some of that stuff, you know, conversations, loud conversations through bedroom walls, that kind of thing. Fighting. Fighting, man, over me. And yeah. my dad's like, we can't give up on him, that kind of thing. And so she'd kind of given up on me. My dad had found a penny, and he told me about this. He found a penny in a gutter, and he picked it up, and he, and he came and told me, he said, this penny represents your soul, like the lost coin in Luke 15. This represents you. You're in the gutter. And I'm going to pray that the Lord shines a light on you and finds you. And so he took that penny and taped it on the wall in the corner of his office. And he'd get down in that corner and pray for me in that coin. And so, and I would hear him sometimes come in messed up at night. And there was one wall between my bedroom and his office. I'd hear him and crying out to God and praying for me. And I, sometimes I'd go to sleep hearing that. So that was, just, was working on me and moving in me. But so I'm in, I'm in 12th grade at a Christian school, playing football for this Christian school. I'm dating Tess. She has no idea of any of this stuff. Wow. So I got other girlfriends, and then I got her as a church girlfriend. Are they all in the Christian school? Some of them were, yeah. Well, yeah, most of them were in the Christian school. All right, church, connected okay. church girls at church. And so uh, I'm living that kind of double life. And um, so uh, I had a pretty sporty car, a Pontiac Firebird with a hopped-up motor and all this stuff my buddies and I had built. And so I had gotten multiple tickets and then wrecked the car, drinking, that kind of thing. So I lost my driver's license. That was one thing that, and then my car was totaled. Then I had my boss had to pick me up and carry me back and forth to work. So I'm working with this guy as a brick mason. So I'm hauling block and mixing mud and for these brick masons. And uh, smoking dope on the job there too. But I'm like 100 pounds, same height I am now. My life was just kind of unspiraling. So he's picking me up and carrying me back and forth. They lost my license a second time for like a year. Um, wow. And so um, my dad's having to carry me. Then, then I, uh, I guess one of the – we're talking about how it spiraled out of control. I mean, I'm a senior in high school. This is in November. We're playing football. And so I'm out with a buddy before school that morning um, smoking dope. And the police – I guess somebody tipped them all to this. The police uh, uh, came up on us, and uh, I had – marijuana in the car and uh, so you was driving i was driving no license correct yeah so they take me to school take me to the school um and drop me off there in the principal's office they call my dad and i'm sitting in the in the, the foyer of this of this christian school i'm looking out the window and it comes my dad up the sidewalk and i'm thinking man what are you doing your dad's a pastor, your, your, your life's out of control. And that was a moment of just kind of depression. In my, and they expelled me from school. So I was expelled from school. Of course, I was a big deal to my family here. I'm a Christian, in the Christian school. My dad's a pastor, and I'm being expelled from the school. So my dad started carrying me to the University of North Florida, which is out on, toward the beach in Jacksonville. And I'm, he dropped me off early one day because he had to go somewhere and I had a class. And I'm trying to do high school completion program at this time. 
So I'm out there walking on the campus around these big bushes. And I remember, I can remember it right now, that just the Spirit of God coming on me saying, Eddie, your life is, is out of control. You're messed up. And I came under really conviction at that moment. And that conviction lasted for a couple of months until there was a revival in our church in July, summer revival in July. And it was during that revival that God really got a hold of me and it was a breaking moment in my life. I lost my driver's license. I'd been expelled from school. Tess is about to, at the point about breaking up with me. And my dad has joined me in the military. I forgot to mention that part. My dad said, I can't handle you, man. You're out of control. I'm taking you to join you in the United States Air Force. So he my dad took you me. In the military. He took me down there, man. I'm, and he joined me up in the military. He said, you're joining the military. So I joined the military like a couple months before I was saved. And then I got saved in July and went off to the military in August. But I got saved the hot July afternoon Amen. in my home, in my dad's office, down on my knees. I cried out to God, and Jesus saved me. And your dad and knew that. My life. Was he with you in he the office? With, he was with me. He was at home that day. But I was with the evangelist who was preaching revival, staying in our home. And so I got along with him, and we, we got in that office, and I prayed to be saved. And the first person, when I jumped up, I felt like the whole world was off my shoulders, man. I felt like the burden of my sin was moved, and I just felt a peace and a joy come over my life. So the first person I ran down the hall and got hold to was my mama. And I picked her up off the ground and hugged her and said, Mama, I just got saved. And, of course, we sat there, stood there in the hall and wept and um, hadn't looked back since then, man. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, my, it was my, my testimony. That's yeah. beautiful. Amen. And so your mom, you know, she's human. She didn't know what to do, you know. No, she didn't know so what to do with me. She, she was probably excited. And crying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. Did you break up with all your girlfriends? I did. I did, uh, you know. And then and then I was afraid Tess was going to break up with me, you know, when she found all of this stuff out. Spell from school and all that kind of stuff happened. But she didn't, you know. And not too long after that, I mean, just a few days after that, she came over to the house, and we sat in the backyard on the swing, and I shared my whole story with her, all the lies and deception, all the stuff that I had pulled over on her. And, um, of course, I went in the military, and uh, in there, I was a new man. I was a Christian. I was witnessing, reading my Bible today, being made fun of, you know, trying to avoid the wrong things. Yeah. And, uh, and Tess gave me a second chance. And um, thank God. Amen. You married up. I married up, man. She's one of the reasons I probably didn't just join the military and just take off because I really loved her. I was beginning to love her. And I'm like, I want her in my life. And I can't have the life I have now and have her. And I need her. I want her. And I want to change in my life. I need Jesus. Amen. Well, she was part of that story of God holding my feet to the fire till I came to the place to surrender to Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. So you get saved. You go to the military. Did you ever think you was going to be a preacher? You know, before, um, <laughs> yeah, I had it in the back of my mind. That's one of the reasons I was running so hard. I didn't want to be that. And so I made up my mind, I'm not going to be a preacher like my dad. But it was floating back in my mind and come across my heart every once in a while that that was what God wanted me to do. So after I got saved, I'm like, Lord, is this something you want me to do? I really, I was going, I wanted to be stay in the Air Force. I was going to get my A&P license and be a mechanic, work on airplanes, maybe have a chance to fly an airplane, not for the military, but after that. And so, um, yeah, it floated through my mind, but I kind of kept trying to kick it off. But it wouldn't go away. Just kept coming back to me. Okay. So how long were you in the military? I was in the reserve, so I was there for six months full time. Then I came in, I would do one month, uh, one week in a month, and two weeks out of the year. 
And, of course, they gave me a bonus to sign up, and I got a second bonus when I signed up. It helped me go through college. Yeah. Helped test when we were young. But when my, but uh, when Jared was born in 84, and I was a youth pastor, and I'm starting to do some revivals and speak other places, I'm like, man, I can't keep doing this. I'm too busy. So I, I, I just got a discharge, honorable discharge from the military at that point. And that busyness is dangerous. And, uh, and I can testify to that learning, you know, learning through the hard way. We got four kids and two year old to a 28 year old. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing, but sometimes that can be your mistress too. your your ministry. Right. You can lean on that instead of leaning on the Lord. Did you ever try to get sober on your own? Oh man. Yeah. When I was a teenager, of course I was disappointed, disappointing my parents, getting caught by the police, brought home, that kind of thing. I'd go to the altar and bow on the altar, and I'd say, this is it, this is it, Lord, I'm turning it over to you. And then I'd last for a few days, and uh, then I'd be, my buddies would come around, and I'd be right back at it. And then I'd come down another week or two or a month later, do the same thing. I had no power in my life. That's one of the things I think the Spirit of God used, helped me understand that at nine-year-old experience wasn't the real deal. Because the verse that really kept coming to my mind was John 1, 12, where Jesus says, But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, as many as believe on his name. So I kept thinking, where's the power? I got no power to break the chains, to break the habits. I have no strength, uh, you know, beyond my own effort. And so I, I came to understand, you, know, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have the power of God in you. You can't, can't lay it down, man. You can't turn your own life around. You can't. You can't. So... That was a breaking point in my life. Well, that was one of the things that the Holy Spirit used on me is you can't change your life, man. You're trying and you're failing. You need to let me change your life. That scripture in Isaiah says uh, the, the youth will uh, hmm. grow weary and the young men will faint, you know, but those who wait on the Lord, he'll renew yeah. their strength. And and I, I like to like to think about that, that eagle doesn't fly in his own strength, you know. It would be like the eagle. He, Amen. He, he floats on the strength of another. And I think one of the things that people need to do is stop trying in their own strength, you know, and recognize that they're weak and they're frail and they can't do it on their own and they have to depend on the Lord. Don't you think the Lord sometimes just has to wring us out and just break us down, I mean, like a wet rag, you know, just, just God just had to wring me out to where I was just completely, you know, at the end of myself. And everybody, just when you came into the office today, in that little room you were in, there was a Haitian immigrant. There was a guy who read a book in, in, in a jail cell in Iowa, got out, sold everything he owned, sold his house, came down here, started his life over. There was a guy who did two tours in Afghanistan, did a lot of things that he can't even talk about, embedded with the Afghan troops. Wow. Got saved in a jail cell, showed up here. And uh, heard about D groups, got plugged into the D groups. Now he's in Bible college, and he's going to be a preacher. Man, that's awesome. And then another guy who had deaf kids that he couldn't communicate with, and he'd strung out on the couch, doped out, and his kids would be trying to talk to him, and he didn't even know how to talk to him, you know. But all four of them guys have one thing in common. They all had to be broken. And uh, broken, rock bottom is a state of mind. It's not a place. And, and so... Mm. We have to all come to a rock bottom state of mind. And and that's what this podcast is about, one broken life at a time. What could God do with one broken life? And so we're exploring your before Christ, right? And so 
you're you're touching on some things that happened after you got saved, but your life was a wreck. Absolutely, man. As a teenage kid, you know, uh, I was trying to cover it all up and trying to keep all the balls in the air, and it was just falling in around me, man, you know. And, uh, of course, I was blunking out of school, you know, because I'm strung out, you know, and so my education wasn't what it should have been in high school, which made it difficult for later for me to have to work a lot harder when I got in college. And so, uh, yeah, and, and then, of course, I'm breaking my parents' heart. But they're not giving – my mom had kind of given up. My dad was, and he was praying for me and cared about me. So I thought about before I came today, like, how many parents have students or kids? They're like, hey, I don't think his, his life can be turned around. I, I think he's too far gone. Are they giving up on him? And my dad didn't give up on me. And uh, my dad and I had a special close. Not that I didn't love my mom, appreciate my mom. But my dad, I remember the fact that he didn't give up on me. He kept on praying for me and kept on coming after me. And, um, and uh, so don't give up. Don't give Amen. up on your kids, no matter where they are, how strung out they are, how messed up they are. You know, part of who they will be in the future um, is because of what they're going through right now. God can redeem that. He can redeem broken things and use them. He's really good at it. He's really good at it, man. <laughs> he loves a comeback. Um, I mean, God is kind of a comeback. And so I, I tell people all the time, the bigger the mess, sometimes the bigger the message. And um, we have a treatment center that comes here on Saturdays, and uh, they have their own seating. And um, 90% of that group of people that come, secular treatment center, no one believes in them. Like, no one believes they'll ever make it. And they have burned every single bridge with a torch, and they have nowhere left to go. And uh, and I think that is a beautiful place to meet the Lord. And and so uh, for me, I never thought I would be anything but a homeless junkie the rest of my life. Mm. No one thought I would be anything, but I guarantee you, I don't care what people say today, I know for a fact I didn't even get a letter in prison. I had no phone call to make. I had nowhere to call, no one to call. I had no visits. No one was there for me. I had burned all the bridges, and 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 I needed to be. I needed my life to fall apart. You know. I think that's the case for most people. You know, and sometimes one of the things that breaks my heart is, uh, you know, seeing people's life that is falling apart. You know, they're on dope. They're trying to. We talked about it before. You know, and can't get too explicit on this about people I know that are in this place in their life right now. But they keep trying, they keep failing, they keep trying, they keep failing. Of course, they got parents that are enabling them. Um, and, uh, you know, I keep thinking, man, you know, you got heart troubles now and you're not even 30 years old because you keep smoking crack and you're going to die. When is the bottom? Where's the bottom for you? And, and uh, that's one of the things that, that really troubles me and burdens me is the, the condition of people who ought to be at the rock. As far as I'm concerned, they should be at rock bottom, turn their life over to Jesus, and I'm just concerned they're going to slip out into eternity without the Lord. Yep, and and that's one of the things that we teach our, our our people is, you know, on how to help and not enable them. And so, you cannot do anything for them. They do they can do for themselves, and you have to create a world that really exists, not a false one, full of enablement, to where you do things for them that you know are unrealistic. And so. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot more of a chance. There's a bigger chance for someone to hit rock bottom when they're not sleeping on your couch, eating your food, living in your house, not paying bills. That's the place where people overdose. I had a mom, and uh, we're about done here, but on this first half. But I wanted to share this story. Just feel like I should. Um, sweet woman, 
her son got addicted to heroin in prison. So it's weird. He's a little guy, went to federal prison, which is full of, I mean, federal prison is a very dangerous place to be. Uh, way more dangerous than state prison. I mean, there's people there with four or 500 years. They're never getting out. I mean, they'll stab you, kill you quick. And he's a little guy. So he went to prison, federal prison. He became an addict in prison. And so uh, she felt guilty for that because she was a drug addict. And uh, she got clean. When he got out of prison, she felt like it was, I call it parenting out of guilt. It's like a trying to atone for your own right. sin. Yeah. You can't make up for the past, but, but she felt like she should. So she just took him into her home. And and he kept, he kept getting high. And uh, he overdosed double digits, I mean, 20, 25 times in her house, right? So she calls me, and she she's, she's even told me she would share her story. But she wants her story being told to help someone. But um, she had to take the door off his bedroom so the EMTs could get to him quicker because that's how many times he, he's overdosed in her house. Wow. Uh, she took the door off the bathroom so he couldn't shoot dope in the bathroom anymore. His ribs were all broken from them trying to resuscitate him so many times, this, this man. And he overdosed the last time, and she, she came to see me. And he was in the hospital calling her phone, telling her, come get me, you know, right now, bring my glasses. I can't see. And she's just crying. And she made a commitment to me that day that when she went home, she would make him leave. And she would, she would make him go because I told her there would be more of a likely chance of him. Uh, it's harder for him to stay high and come down on the street than it is in your house. So she did. She made him leave. And then she took him back. Well, on Mother's Day, she went to go see her mom. And uh, when she came home, he was dead. And so she found him dead in her oh, house on man. Mother's Day. And, um, <sighs> and you know, so for the parent, right, what do we want for the person that's on drugs? We, we want that person to hit rock bottom as soon as possible. The only thing you can invest in that person is something they can't trade for drugs, and that's instructions. And your, your, your return on your investment is them doing what you tell them to do. So them being obedient, obedience-based discipleship. And so uh, my encouragement to the parent is do whatever you can to put them in a place where they do reach that rock-bottom state of mind, right? And, and so that's what happened to you. So you did you ever, just a couple questions before we close, uh, did you ever realize that there was hope for you before you got saved, before you started you know, your journey with Christ? You know, I don't know that I thought, even thought about that, man, because my, sometimes my mom or dad would ask me, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think that people who look at a person on drugs or who's an alcoholic, and they think they can answer the question of why they're doing that. And, you know, just the emptiness, you know, of life and trying to either hide or, or must, uh, you know, um, cover up some kind of emptiness. I'm not just doing it because my friends were doing it. I was doing it. I liked the feeling of it. And so I, 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 just, I just thought that my life would probably, I don't know that I thought it would change or I had hope that it was going to change uh, until I got under conviction. I lost my license and I began to really be put in a place where I had to think. Like, what are you going to do? You know, you can't just keep doing this. You need to change in your life. And so at that point, I realized the Lord can change me, and there is hope for me. But until then, I, I really wasn't looking. My headlights weren't on very high beam to think beyond the next time I was going to be able to get you know high or get with my buddies or whatever until I really got 
I was being wrung out and got to the place where I'm thinking something beyond this is possible. Amen. Through the Lord. That's right. Hmm. We, we always ask people two questions. Who are you and what is your purpose? And, and until you can tell me who you are and what your purpose is, you're going to struggle with addiction for the rest of your life. And, um, and so, so the moment you realize there was hope for you is when you hit your knees and you surrender your life to Jesus. Yes, sir. Well, actually, a little before that, when I got on a conviction, the Holy Spirit began to work on me. I began to feel like, man, the Lord's drawing me, which means he has something for me Amen. beyond where I am right now. And, of course, when I trusted Christ, and uh, I just felt the world, the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders, and that peace, and that, hey, I really do have hope. There's, going, there's something beyond. I, I can leave my past behind now. I've got power in my life to be different. And uh Amen. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing your heart and opening up your tent for us so we can come inside and see Amen. see your life, brother. And uh, um, there's a lot of people that are going to watch this, and they're going to be with their jaws are drop because I don't think everybody knows. I don't think I don't think people really know uh, where you came from that in that in that that aspect. So, well, man, I appreciate you giving the opportunity to talk about this, and I I do hope and. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to prison I, and nothing like that, but I was living a, a, a hypocritical life in church with a good family, in and out, you know, playing the games and, and chasing all the wrong things. And uh, so there may be some parents who have kids that are in that same shape, and I hope this will give them hope to say, if Jesus can do that for Eddie Bumpers, he can do it for my son and daughter, and he can. I'm telling you, he can. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, Amen. if you guys enjoyed this, this uh, episode of One Broken Life, would you do me a favor and share it you share it on your facebook page you can share your uh podcast whatever it's uh, apple or spotify and this is a one broken life is a production of freeway ministries and so if you want to support one broken life you can go to freeway-ministries.com and you can uh, you can go to the donation uh, link and you can support um, this ministry that way so Thank you for sharing, brother. Amen. Thank you again for having me, Brother John. I appreciate it. Amen. You guys don't want to miss uh, the next episode where Pastor Eddie talks about what God is doing now in his life. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next time.